You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and as always, I'll be your host. My guest in this episode and another return customer to the show is Dermot Crowley. We chatted in episode 82 about teams that are in friction or flow a conversation that has stayed with me ever since. It was awesome stuff. Today, Dermot is all about urgency, or more specifically, how to avoid the urgency trap. It's an incredibly important topic. You know, just like me, if we let it, urgency can consume us at home or at work. Dermot's here to help. He's here to help us understand how to get it under control. Enjoy. Dermot Crowley, welcome back to the Team Guru Podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be back. It's been a couple of years. It has. It has been a while. You know what, Dermot, as part of my preparation for this podcast, I listened to our first and, and our only other podcast together, which was way back for me in episode number 82, Friction or Flow, How Does Your Team Roll? I listened to it this afternoon on a, a long drive, and it is fantastic. You know, I, I, I have a bit of a confession to make. I, I've been, I think we're up to 135 or six or seven or something in my podcasts. And there used to be a time where I knew exactly which guest had given me which ideas, but <laughs> that time has long gone. I have almost too much content floating around my head. Your episode is one of those ones that there are a number of concepts from that I recall regularly and I think about regularly because it just made so much sense that even just that that nub, the, the, the central idea of friction or flow for a team is very powerful. But in that conversation, there are a bunch of really important ideas. I, I loved it very much and it made me look forward to today's because just like that first book, Smart Teams, that we talked about, your most recent book, Urgent, is a real beauty. It just cuts to the core of something that is a problem for so many people in so many organizations. And it speaks about it so sensibly and gives so many great ideas about individuals helping to solve those problems. Tell me, Dermot, how did you go from Smart Teams to your latest book, Urgent? What was it that you were seeing in your clients? What had you experienced that made you land at this place where Urgent was the most important thought right now? Yeah, great question. So, Urgent and urgency and reactivity were issues that I've been talking about for years and seeing in my client organizations for years. But it was always a really challenging topic to raise, especially with leadership teams, because if I came into a leadership team and said, hey, you've got a reactive culture, you need to dial down the urgency, the first thing they would do is push back and say, hold on, don't tell our people that we need urgency. We need, we need to get traction. We need to build momentum. And I, I just always found it a challenge to get people engaged with it. So um, two things happened. The first was I went to Harvard last year and spent a week in a, an intensive program, leadership program which completely blew my mind. And Ron Heffitz, who was the, the lecturer, very well known in leadership circles, he just unlocked some ideas for me, which made me feel like I've got to start thinking about this book. And then 
A couple of months later, we, myself and my partner Vera were booked to go to the US on a, a holiday. So we were traveling around the national parks of the US um, from Nevada to Death Valley. It was going to be amazing. And the day before we were to fly to the US, um, we got a phone call from Italy, Vera's from Milan, to say that one of her family was critically ill and we needed to come home straight away. And suddenly our world was thrown into a huge amount of urgency and reactivity. We had to completely change our plans. And two o'clock the next day, we're on a flight to Milan for four weeks to, uh, to deal with things there. And while I was in Milan, um, I couldn't do much because unfortunately I don't speak the language and Vera was very busy with family matters. So she said to me, look, take yourself off for a few days, relax, go and do some sightseeing. And I ended up going to the Cinque Terre and spending a few days in this absolute paradise where there was no urgency whatsoever. So I'd gone from this highly reactive state to this highly inactive state. And it was there, um, sipping a cocktail on the beach that I actually went and bought a notebook and started writing the book because I couldn't, all of these things had converged in my head and I had to get it out. Keep it in there any longer. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the catalyst for urgent. So urgent is relevant at some different points in organizations. And you, you talk about that in your book. When is urgent okay in an organization? Before we get to the point where we're talking about when it's not okay and, and the way it's used and, and we seem to be addicted to being in a state of urgency, when is it okay for leaders and individuals and organizations to be reactive and, and feel that sense of urgency? I think there's, I don't want to make urgency out to be the bad guy because urgency is necessary in all of our lives. If you don't have any urgency, you just get and this state of, of complete inaction and you don't get traction with anything. So we all need urgency, but I believe that um, there is reasonable urgency where things happen that we could not have planned for and we need to be able to respond to them in a, an appropriate way. And I think that if leaders and managers use urgency with purpose, so they're careful to use it at the right times, and they use it in the right way, I think that that's okay. But when everything is urgent, that's a problem. And that's the, the real issue that I have, that it's not that sometimes we have to deal with urgent things. My clients are telling me that every single day they are dealing with one urgent issue after another. And I believe that a lot of that is not reasonable urgency. It's either fake urgency, where something is made out to be urgent when it's actually not. And sometimes other people do that to us and sometimes we actually do it to ourselves. So, you know, a good example of this is if you have email alerts turned on and every time an email comes in, you react to it and deal with it, you're making that email urgent even though it's actually not. And there's always an opportunity cost. Every time you're reacting to that, there's something else more proactive that you're not doing. So there's the fake urgency, and then there's the, the urgency that is avoidable. So a lot of urgency is caused by other people leaving things until the last minute and then passing it on to you. Or we leave things to the last minute ourselves, and then we have to clean up our own mess. So it's that urgency that I want to try and get rid of. 
And I, I kind of would, would break them into two, two different types of urgency. There's productive urgency, which is reasonable. And then there's unproductive urgency, which we want to eradicate as much as possible. As you were talking there, you remind me of, of two things. Number one is my kids. My kids are seven, four, and two, almost three. They have no sense of urgency. So we could be running late for things because they have made it very difficult to get out the door. And it could be, you know, it's for them. We're, we're trying to get somewhere on time for them. And, <laughs> and no matter how late we are, no matter how much I try and talk them through it, there is no sense of urgency. It's like they don't have that button. There is yeah. nothing in them that allows them to be urgent in any way, which is kind of beautiful in a way. And even at my most stress, when I'm running late with them and I'm trying to get them to hurry up and there's, they cannot bring themselves to be urgent, I kind of admire that, even in my yeah. frenzy, because it, it must be a beautiful place to be. And the other thing you remind me of is my grown-up mate, who's exactly the same age as I am, who still has no ability to be urgent. And no matter how many flights he misses, no matter how many opportunities in life this guy misses, he cannot be urgent. So you're right when you say, and, and getting to a flight on time when you've made yourself late, that is reasonable urgency. You, you need to get there. Otherwise, you're going to miss out on something that's going to cost you money or time or something at the other end. But you talk about the unreasonable urgency, the fake and avoidable urgency. I'm really interested in that. You make the point in your, in your book that you feel as though sometimes leaders use urgency as a bit of a blunt instrument. It's a pretty easy way. It's, it's short-sighted because it has so many negative consequences, but it, it's a pretty easy way to get people into action if you create a sense of urgency about something. I, I'm really interested in this concept of what you've observed with leaders using it as a blunt instrument. How destructive is it and how, how much is it related to lack of other options for that leader? They don't know how else to do it. Yeah. Look, I think, unfortunately, urgency or reactivity, having a reactive work style, is, uh, it's a learned behavior. It's something that many of us learned in school and at university because we didn't have it as kids. There was no real pressure you know, to do anything. But over time, we had to deal with deadlines. And unfortunately, most of us as kids dealt with the deadline by leaving things until the last minute. So if you think about your assignments at uni or at school, you kind of, you often left them until the last minute, you pulled an all-nighter, um, you crammed before exams. But the thing was, back at school or university, if you did that, if that was your work style, the only person that that had an impact on was you and your grades. Whereas in the workplace, if we carry that over into the workplace, it has a massive impact on the people around us. And unfortunately, no one's ever stopped to examine this and tell people that's not okay. You know, I guess I started doing it when, when I wrote Smart Teams and I talked about that idea that we need to be group productive. So we need to, we need to work in a way that's productive for ourselves and for the people around us at the same time. But, you know, most people have never stopped to examine it. So, you know, people get into leadership positions and they're really good at pushing hard and getting stuff done and getting other people to get stuff done. But it comes at a cost because if you put people into a position where everything is urgent and your expectation is I'm going to pile one priority on top of another priority on top of another priority, 
and I don't care that you're now overloaded. I just need this done because I'm getting pressure from my boss as well. When you're in that sort of situation, um, it just becomes a cultural issue and people become victims of urgency. People say, well, that's just the way it is around here. We, we, there's nothing we can do about it. But there's so many things we could do about it at the personal productivity level and at the cultural level. Which we'll get to, of course, but as everyone who's listened to a Team Guru podcast knows before, I like to get into the gory stuff and rake over the coals of what <laughs> we're doing wrong first. Now, the idea of a leader using this, not just because they themselves perhaps haven't sorted out that childish, that uni student sense of urgency because they're leaving their own stuff too late. I have experienced it. I've seen it with my own eyes, and I think I've even heard leaders talk about it as a strategy. It's not because they've left things late. It's not because they themselves as a leader or a manager are disorganized. They think it's a great way to get their their people to work hard and fast and produce results right now. They deliberately create a sense of urgency about stuff because they think it motivates people. Talk about that and and the other thing, you know, whether it's a deliberately doing it, it kind of points to the fact that they're blind to the damage that it does. So tell me about that. Am I being too hard? Is that really not a thing with leaders? Am I picking out some very rare people that I've observed and, and generalizing? Or is it a thing? And if it is a thing, how can they be so short-sighted as to the impacts? Yeah, yeah. I look, again, I think both of us want to be really careful to not just tar everyone with the same brush because we know there's lots of leaders who are you know really sensitive to this and they really try hard but often unfortunately they're working in big machines that um you know make it hard for them to operate any other way but yeah i i definitely see that i definitely see leaders who put pressure uh, on i heard one terrible way of framing this in a large organization um, a little while back, which was called squeezing the asset. So we want to squeeze the asset as much as possible, you know. It's and just, by oh. asset, we're talking about a human being that goes home to a family and has relationships and emotions and things yeah. that they worry about. Exactly. And it was all about how can we push them to the very edge without pushing them over? What, you know, how close to the wind can we sail with this stuff? And And that's that's abhorrent, but I don't think most people and most leaders are operating in that way. I guess the way I think about this, that there are three zones that we tend to work in. Uh, there's what I call the inactive zone, where there's no urgency, and um, you know, there's probably a lot of lethargy, and, and, and we're just not, we're kind of hiding from our work uh, in some ways. And look, some of us need to go there sometimes. I find when I've got heavy weeks of delivery when it comes to training, that sort of thing. If I then have a day in the office, I'll kind of hide in the inactive zone because I just want simple tasks that don't take a lot of brain power because I'm kind of tired. And that's okay sometimes. You then have what I call the active zone, which I think is where we want to be most of the time. That's where we're working proactively and where there's a certain amount of urgency that's driving us forward, but it's not at high levels. And, and I believe that you know, most of the time we should be working in this middle active zone uh, in a healthy way. But then there's the reactive zone. And unfortunately, we get pushed up into the reactive zone too often. And sometimes that's okay. You know, there will be things that come along. We're, all, we're working in complex businesses. 
and you can't plan for everything. So sometimes we'll get pushed up into the, the reactive zone and we have to deal with what I call acute urgency. So where the urgency is strong, but it's short and, and that's okay as well. The problem I have is where leaders push their people into the reactive zone and they keep them there for too long. And then you've got what I call acute and chronic urgency. And that's the real problem. So when people are dealing with urgency that is, is strong and it's long, then what happens is they start to make mistakes. There's a lot of rework that has to happen because we need to clean up after those mistakes. They get stressed and ultimately I think it leads to burnout. And I don't think anyone would ever leave a team or an organization and they will put it down to there was too much urgency. I don't think they would think about it in that way. But I think urgency is one of the things that feeds into it in some cases. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. You told a really nice story in your book, Dermot, and it made me realize you and I share something in common. Not only do we have both have a great head of hair, but we also both have a pathological fear of heights. Yes. So I share that fear of heights with you, and I was able to relate very strongly with your story. And the story Dermot told was about this wonderful climb, and actually you, you, you motivated me. It was, a, it was a, a father-son activity, and I really liked the idea of that. Just you and your boy have got a, a habit of climbing things you know, once a year and doing that together as, a, a, as an activity that you can spend time with each other. And there was a particularly different, difficult part of the climb and you, you went through all of the emotions that go with that and that, the, the beautiful idea of your son encouraging you and watching you struggle with something that you struggle with, but being determined to get through it. It's just a, a beautiful story and a, a very patient tour guide as well. Yeah. And you felt as though that your emotions were, were enormously heightened and you got through the tough bits and you thought it was okay. And then you came back to another tough bit or you were coming back to the same tough bit and going down. And even though you felt like you were okay, you went into a, an extremely aroused state once again, because it was almost as if your fear, although you felt okay about it, because you'd been there so recently and so intensely, it was just bubbling to the surface exactly. and it was ready to jump at you out of the blue almost um, really strongly straight away, almost like when you're boiling water and you take it off the boil and it's sitting in the, in the saucepan looking all innocent, but you only have to put the heat back on again for half a second and it's boiling again. It's just ready to go again. And the link between that story and the idea of urgent is that if we work in this, this reactive zone often enough, if we convince ourselves that there are enough good reasons for us to communicate this with our team as being urgent, put them under the pump yet again, if we keep doing that, then even when we think we've taken the heat off, it doesn't take much for them to get back at it. Like your fear of heights, even though you felt okay, you can go from zero to 100 pretty quickly because you'd just been there. Yeah. And if we put our, our staff too often in that reactive zone, then they're going to go back to that all of that clouding of judgment that comes with being urgent and that sick feeling people get going into a workplace where everything is urgent. I, I love your zones and I, I love the idea of 
of the the reactive the active and the inactive zone as well that's a really important lesson and i'll ask you a question about that in a minute but tell us a little bit more about that the idea of of what you see in teams who are so often in a state of urgency just little things can flick them back and, and feel like they're back in that horrible place once again yeah look it can be so such simple things such little things it could be an email that immediately pops them back into that reactive zone. It depends on, on who it comes from, but you know, so many people working in large organizations, they, they look at their inbox purely from, through the lens of who is this from? And if it's from someone senior, they make it urgent. Even though you know, I work with a lot of these leaders and, and the leaders themselves would say, no, it wasn't that urgent. But just because it came from them, it's treated with this urgency. So there's a lot of this um, fake urgency that actually happens just because of who something has come from. And, and any rational person, I think, who's maybe you know, a bit lower in the, in the active zone, so they're not in that highly aroused state, they could look at something and go, okay, the boss, but it's, it's obviously not that urgent. But I reckon that when we're in this aroused state, we're just under the surface, we make bad judgments about things all the time and, and we pile the pressure on ourselves as well as allowing the pressure to be piled on us from, from other people. There's a real, a lot of people I talk to, there's a very strong sense that if I can just push harder and go faster, I will be productive. And I just believe that that is not true. We need to slow down to speed up. And in fact, a lot of the work that I'm doing with senior leaders at the moment is about trying to clear some space in their very compressed schedules so that they've got more time to think and to plan and to have more informal conversations with their team rather than spending 90% of their week in formal meetings. That's the real issue, which again leads to urgency for them because they're in meetings all of the time. They don't have time to delegate work properly. So things become urgent before they're delegated and this whole cycle goes right through the organization. And you've just made me think, if you're listening to this podcast and you're enjoying it and you didn't, you've not listened to number 82 where I talked to Dermot the first time, go back and listen to that because those kind of points about leaders in organizations with back-to-back-to-back meetings and so many people in organizations with inboxes that are overflowing and all of the anxiety that causes and all of the knock-on effects that that has through organizations. You know, when we're asking leaders to spend most of their time in meetings while their inbox is filling, and of course, they've got to do that after hours. And it's not just leaders, it's everyone across organizations in that situation. It's a great conversation. It links very strongly to this one. Hey, Dermot, I'm going to go out on a limb and have a real guess that you're a fan of Stephen Covey. <laughs> it's funny. I've got a love-hate relationship with Stephen Covey. So Love his work and hate his success? No, no, no. Um, um, <laughs> I've I got to say, I admire him enormously. Great thinking on productivity. A bit hard for the average human to really understand and implement. So a lot of people have said to me over the years that I love Covey's stuff, but what do I do with it? I'm not quite sure what to do with it. So it, it right. can be a little light on, on implementation for a lot of people, but I love his thinking. The challenge that I've had was 
you know, I, I, when I started out in the productivity game, it was over 20 years ago. And I would say that every single time management course that you would ever go to would, you know, get Stephen Covey's priority matrix out and, and, and mm. talk about it. It was the centerpiece of so much training. And one yeah. of my mentors challenged me, and I was the same. So I, I kind of used that as my centerpiece for talking about prioritization. And one of my mentors challenged me a few years ago before I wrote my first book. And he said, what if you never talked about Stephen Covey in one of your workshops again? What would that do to your thinking? What would you have to go and create in order to fill that gap? And it was the best piece of mentoring I ever got because I've never, you know, I obviously refer to Covey from time to time, but I've never run any training based on his content again. And what that forced me to do was to write my first book, Smart Work, which, um, you know, was uh, actually it didn't fly in the face of Covey. It was very complimentary to his stuff, but I just made a really concerted effort to come up with my own thinking that was relevant and that was implementable by the average Joe who was working in an organization. And that's what I was going to say when I interrupted you. It's That's where people like you come in. If Covey is hard for people to not maybe so much understand because he's an amazing communicator, but difficult to yeah. implement. That's when people like you come in, you're almost an interpreter of the, the core tenets that he's covering. You can't argue with any of his tenets, but you could perhaps get you know, get get stuck as to how you exactly. you, you make them change your that's life. Right. And that's what you've done. And, and I don't think you mentioned Covey at all in this book, but it's pretty clear that he exists in your thinking because one of the things, and if, if leaders are looking for reasons to turn down their heat on their staff and not have them move from active into the reactive zone so often, one of them is this inactive zone. And Covey talks about it here with his you know not urgent, not important stage. You talk about it, and you're certainly not stealing his stuff. It's just the same truism that if you spend your time in the reactive stage, in the reactive zone, and we've talked about how easy it is to go back there if you're there a lot then it's human nature that you have to then switch off. You have to go to that inactive zone. And another thing that you and I share in common, if we spend a day or two or three in a row facilitating workshops, you talked about, I think you said lie on the couch and watch TV or, or yeah. something. You've just got to switch off. Or you you actually, you said go and check your emails. So you're a lot more productive <laughs> than I am, but I've got to go and switch off. I mean, I've said on this podcast many times before, I love it when I'm on the road and that doesn't happen at the moment, of course, delivering workshops because I'm staying in a hotel and I can just go back to the hotel at, at 5.30 and not come out again until I in the, late in the next morning and recharge my batteries. If we're a leader leading a team or individuals who are in this urgency state, in this reactive zone often, what you've got to know and what you've got to accept that if you're willing to put them there, you've got to understand that when it's all over, they are going to metaphorically collapse at their desk. And they're going to do, at best, very low-level tasks that don't re require energy or emotion or much thinking because you have drained all of that out of them. The teams and the leaders and the, the organizations that are most productive over a sustainable period, like you talk about in your book, are those that can stay in the active zone. You can stay in your active zone forever. But it's when we're dipping up to the reactive that we find ourselves going down to the inactive zone. I, I just find that to be a, a hugely important point. Yeah. And I think the really savvy leader will 
learn to spot when this is happening within their team. So if they see their team going up into the reactive zone too much and staying there for too long, they need to have strategies in place to be able to pull them back down. And, and, but, but even to be aware of that. So I mentioned going to Harvard and, and spending time with Ron Heffitz. He uh, is really well known for the analogy, um, get off the dance floor and onto the balcony. Um, so he talked about that in a couple of his books. And that's an analogy for being able to step back and see what's really going on within your team. And I think that leaders need to do that with urgency. They need to be able to step back and, and notice when their team are kind of in that highly aroused state and it's unproductive. So I'm okay if leaders use urgency with purpose for certain things, but when they just allow it to happen as the norm, that's when they're being a bad leader in my view. All right, Dermot, let's get to the good stuff now. We've raked over the coals long enough. We've talked about what it looks like and feels like to be in a state of urgency. We've talked about how if you're there too often, it can be really easy to go back there. It can become a habit like muscle memory. I've challenged you to leave us with your top five tips for me as an individual or me as a as a leader in an organization. If I know urgency is a problem in our organization, we go there too readily. It's too much of a habit. What can I do as, as someone who wants to make a change? Give me my top three or five things that I can change. So I think the first thing is to realize that your behavior will set the tone for everyone else's behavior. And this is not new in leadership. We know this. But if you have a reactive work style yourself, it's going to be no surprise if your team end up having reactive work styles. So I think that you need to work as proactively as possible as a leader. And that means that you organize your work in a way that is balanced. There's a huge amount of talk about work-life balance, but I reckon that leaders need to get work-work balance in place first. And there's several balances that might need to be in place. There's the balance between the reactive and the proactive. There's the balance between the important and the, the urgent, if you like. There's the balance between the time they spend in meetings and the time that they protect for other work that needs to get done. So exactly, you know, so thinking and planning and, and just having those touch-based conversations with your team. So if you don't have that sorted, then the chances are your, your people are going to mirror how you tend to um, behave. So that'd be number one. Number two would be, I reckon that leaders need to become attuned to urgency as an issue. So Al Gore kind of had a second uh, claim to fame in, in the 2000s when he, um, he made a, no, oh, gone blank now, an inconvenient truth. And his argument was that, you know, climate change was an inconvenient truth for many governments and many organizations because there was money involved. I reckon that urgency is an inconvenient truth for a lot of leaders and they don't want to have to deal with it, but I, I think they need to. They need to recognize the problem that it, it causes. And that's the primary reason why I wrote this book. I, I just wanted to put urgency on the table as an issue because I don't think it ever really has been put on the table as an issue before in this way. Certainly Covey talked about it but more from a personal productivity point of view. So we need to see it as an issue and spot the signs 
of the uh, acute and, and chronic urgency within our teams. I think that leaders and managers need to learn to moderate urgency for their teams. And that means they need to know when to dial it up, when they need to increase the urgency, and they need to know when to dial it down when it's unproductive. They also need to defend against unproductive urgency that's coming at their team. And they need to drive urgency in some situations. So there are strategies that they can apply depending on the situation. So if something is truly urgent and they need to defend against it, so it's coming in from external sources, maybe another part of the organization, I think that leaders need to coach their team on the difference between being responsive and being reactive. So my strategy for, for that is to respond. So a good, a good example of this is paramedics are actually trained to walk into an emergency situation. So they arrive in the scene of the accident. They don't run in. They are trained to walk in. You know, I've noticed that. I have absolutely noticed that with AMBOs. Absolutely. There's three reasons for that. First of all, they need to manage their own fear response and they need to keep themselves calm. Number two, they need to look around and see what's actually happening and, you know, understand are there any dangers present, that sort of thing. And number three, they need to show leadership. So they need to be the calm leadership because if they're running around like crazy, then no one else is going to um, feel very calm. So, so for me, that, that really is the core of being responsive versus being reactive. If you think about a knee-jerk reaction, when the hammer hits your knee and your knee kind of goes up in the air, your knee doesn't talk to your brain and say, hey, someone's just hit me with a hammer, what should I do? And then your brain says to me, oh, you better lift your leg up. It actually bypasses the brain, so it's a primal response. And I think that unfortunately what happens is we react like that a lot when what we should be doing is being more responsive to things. So we take a moment to think about what's going on here. Is this truly urgent? What's the opportunity cost? If I drop everything to deal with this, what am I not doing? And let's make the best decision about what I should do at this point. I think leaders should coach their team to, to think about that. So um, respond in those situations. I think leaders need to coach their team to absorb urgency, especially managers in, in a middle management position in an organization. They need to become the absorbers of urgency for their team rather than the conductors of urgency. Because I see that happen a lot where they, they just pass the urgency straight through to the team and they say, drop what you're doing. The boss has asked for this. We need it by four o'clock. Absolutely. See, just see that so often. Yeah. And it's, it's not fair to the team if that's your management style. So I think you need to uh, step up and, and look at strategies to defend against that urgency and protect them unless it's truly you know, productive urgency, and then you need to respond. So you're kind of, you're making decisions here. If you need to drive the urgency, you need to mobilize people. If it truly is urgent, you need to um, drive the urgency up and, and increase it and, and mobilize people. And I guess the key to that is to help people to understand why this is urgent. So some context goes a long way to getting people to do it quickly and not feel resentful about it. You may need to help them to reprioritize because the one thing I hate to see is, is leaders who just pile one priority on top of another on top of another and people just feel like there's no room for negotiation. 
And that's not fair and, and not reasonable. I also think when it comes to mobilizing people, giving people clear deadlines is a, an absolute must and it should be a no-brainer. And yet so often I see communications go out asking for something with no clear deadline. And unfortunately, other people then receive that communication and they either react to it immediately because they think it's from the boss and I assume they want it as soon as possible, or they leave it until the last minute. Which creates more urgency down the track. Exactly. So if people are really clear about the communication about, I need this by, because, then it helps to mobilize people. And then finally, sometimes a leader needs to drive the urgency down so they see uh, reactivity happening within their own team and they need to diffuse the urgency. And that's when they spot people above the line in that acute and chronic urgency state. They need to know how to diffuse urgency and, and how to bring people down and, and help them to reprioritize and help them to just get back on track. I think that that's a really important conversation that a leader needs to have with, with their team. They're fantastic, Dermot. Wonderful stuff. I'll, I'll go through those again really quickly. Number one was just to understand that my behavior will set the tone. If urgency is my habit, then that will set the tone of the people around me. Number two is to become attuned to urgency as an issue. It's an inconvenient truth. We have to understand as leaders that there are consequences of always working in an organization or a culture that is above the line in the reactive stage. Number three, we must learn to moderate urgency, dial it up and down. And at the same time, we must also be able to absorb the urgency rather than be conductors of it. So just because I'm copying it from my boss, it doesn't mean that I should make my team go into a panic as well. Number four is to mobilize intelligently for true urgency. So if there's something that actually does need to be dealt with quickly, there's a smart way to do it. Help them understand why, help them reprioritize, say, hey, I know you had other stuff. This is more important now. Let's change the deadline on that other stuff. And the last bit about that is to create clear deadlines. There's nothing worse than having an urgent thing that really super important dumped on you and not be told when it needs to be done by. That just creates another sense of urgency within the urgency. And number five is as leaders, we need to learn the skill of being able to drive down urgency, to diffuse it when we notice our teams are in there so often. Dermot, that is brilliant advice. I've loved our conversation. Look, I, I was really looking forward to tonight and you certainly haven't let me down. This is <laughs> has been as quality a conversation as the first one we had. I really appreciate your time and I love the way you communicate this stuff. Look, thank you very much for the opportunity. I love the two. And that was Dermot Crowley. I love chatting with Dermot. Awesome energy and fantastic insights to the issues that matter most in our lives. Urgency will consume you. It'll consume me too, unless we work diligently to manage it in all parts of our life. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Dermot on the Lessons Learned page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud or LinkedIn. 
and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theories and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Thank you.